And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to recall the greatest American story ever told. What would that story be? It's the story of Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. It's a story that involves all kinds of mysteries and miracles. We're going to ask about three of them. We're going to ask about how it is that an incredibly poor boy from an undistinguished family background with less than a year of total schooling could develop into one of the greatest minds and finest writers of the 19th century and, in fact, of all time. A second question, how could somebody who was a lifelong politician, considered by many a political hack, who lost more political races than he won, certainly that was true of races of substance, who had dropped out of politics 12 years before he ran for president, basically in disgust, how could someone like that ever get nominated for president of the United States by a major party? And finally, how did somebody who despised the sight of blood who even disliked hunting, who never had any real military experience at all, become one of the most ruthlessly effective war leaders ever? Those are the questions on the table in this special broadcast, The Real Lincoln. The music in the background is the melody. It's actually an old Irish melody called Rosin the Bow, but it was used as Lincoln's campaign song in 1860 with words by Jesse Hutchinson. And the words say a great deal about the way people felt about Abraham Lincoln, candidate for president. And it's amazing to think of um, any candidate for president today with that kind of campaign song. Then up with our banner so glorious, the star-spangled red, white, and blue, we'll fight till our cause is victorious for Lincoln and liberty too. How did he get there? And what about the contradictions at the very, very heart of Abraham Lincoln's life and career? In um, 1959, in the 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's birth, he was born, of course, on February 12, 1809, at dawn in a tiny log cabin in Kentucky. But 150 years later, Carl Sandburg, the great American poet, who is also Lincoln's biographer, was asked to give a special speech to a joint session of Congress. And in that speech, Sandberg said, Not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on earth who is both steel and velvet, who is as hard as rock and soft as drifting fog, who holds in his heart and mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable and perfect. Beautiful words, but it gets to the paradox of Lincoln, which even his earliest biographer, J.G. Holland, J.G. Holland wrote a, a huge biography that was published the year after Lincoln's assassination. And he interviewed literally scores of Lincoln's best friends, his associates, people who knew him well and worked with him. He wrote in his biography, there are not two who agree in their estimate of him. One would say he was a very ambitious man. Another would assert that he was without a particle of ambition. Holland wrote that the people who knew Lincoln best said he was one of the saddest men that ever lived and that he was one of the jolliest men that ever lived, that he was very religious 
but that he was not a Christian, that he was the most cunning man in America and that he had not a particle of cunning in him, that he had the strongest personal attachments and that he had no personal attachments at all, that he was a tyrant and that he was the softest-hearted, most brotherly man that ever lived, that he was a leader of the people and that he was always led by the people, that he was cool and impassive and that he was susceptible of the strongest passions. What do you make of all that? What uh, J.G. Holland made of it was that the contradictions in Lincoln's character were the very essence of who he was. But the idea of someone of such importance in our country and around the world, because Lincoln is the one American figure who is universally admired absolutely everywhere, how did somebody like that emerge from the background from which he emerged? Both his parents were illiterate. His father had learned to scrawl out his name to sign legal documents. His mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, never learned even that. She signed her name, and we have a couple of examples of it, with an X, as people did. And Lincoln, writing some of the most beautiful prose ever, how did that happen? When he spoke about his own background, he, of course, emphasized, and part of this was for political reasons, because it was part of the Lincoln legend, as it's been called, but it's a legend that's true. When asked about his background, he, he would say that uh, it can all be condensed into a single sentence, the short and simple annals of the poor. Now, Lincoln, being a guy who loved poetry, was making a poetic reference to Thomas Gray's Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. It's a poem that became very famous after it was published in 1751, again, 60 years before Lincoln's birth or nearly. And what the reference is, is to a verse in Gray's Elegy, where he writes, Let not ambition mock their useful toil, their homely joys, and destiny obscure, nor grandeur here with a disdainful smile the short and simple annals of the poor. Perhaps in this neglected spot, he's talking about a country churchyard, is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire, hands that the rod of empire might have swayed, or waked to ecstasy the living lyre. But knowledge to their eyes, her ample page, rich with the spoils of time, did ne'er unroll. Chill penury repressed their noble rage, and froze the genial current of the soul. He was talking about his own understanding of the people who came before him in the Lincoln family and particularly in the Hanks family. He did have the sense that all of his ancestors were, except on his mother's side, poor, anonymous, illiterate, undistinguished people. But he wasn't entirely correct, as it turns out. And he may have ignored some of the realities. He said privately to his law partner, Billy Herndon. Herndon was also a later biographer of Lincoln after he died. And Herndon, much younger man, was his law partner for 16 years before Lincoln became president. And they were riding the circuit, which lawyers did at the time. And Herndon remembered very vividly that Lincoln told him very directly that his mother, Nancy Hanks, had been an illegitimate child. And that there is no record anywhere of who her father was. And that, of course, lends support to it. Lincoln believed that his mother had been fathered by 
a Virginia aristocrat, presumably a slave owner, someone Lincoln said was well-bred and educated. And he suggested to Herndon that that was where he got some of his love of words and learning and poetry and scholarship and, and all of the rest of it. But actually, Lincoln's family on his father's side was also interesting. The first Abraham Lincoln was his grandfather. And he was a farmer, uh, not a wealthy farmer, but a farmer who got by in Virginia. And he served in the Virginia militia. He became a captain. And then, uh, with a lot of other people at the end of the Revolutionary War, he uh, headed out for what later became Kentucky. It was still part of Virginia. There's only one problem. He, he got himself a farm. He got several farms, in fact, and he started cultivating them by chopping down trees. And he was out planting corn one day with his three sons. He had a son who was uh, 15 and a son who was 11. And the younger son, Thomas, who became Lincoln's father, was right beside him planting corn. He was eight years old. And um, a Shawnee Indian came and attacked them. And shot and killed the first Abraham Lincoln. His uh, little boy, Thomas Lincoln, was crouched over the body. Another Indian was coming to grab him and perhaps to scalp him. They don't know. At that point, the older brother of Thomas Lincoln shot and killed the Indian who was in the midst of the attack. You can imagine eight years old, you're crouching over your father's dead body. That's Thomas Lincoln. He became the father of the future president, the real Lincoln. More coming up. You're listening to a special history program, The Real Lincoln, on The Michael Medved Show. Hurrah for the choice of our nation, our heroes so brave and so true. We'll go for the great reformation, for Lincoln and liberty too. We'll go for the boy from Kentucky, the hero of Hoosierdom through. The pride of the sucker, so lucky, for Lincoln and Liberty too. We'll go for the Great Reformation. That was part of the campaign song for Abraham Lincoln in 1860, the year he was elected president of the United States. The, um, the story of Abraham Lincoln and getting to that point where he could deliver a great reformation is one of the most American and one of the most inspiring of all biographies ever. And it's the subject of this very special show, uh, The Real Lincoln. We spoke a little bit about how Lincoln basically wrote off, did not want to speak about his ancestry or where he came from, never spoke about his father. He did have kind words to say about both his mother and his stepmother later. He never had kind words about his father, Thomas Lincoln. Thomas Lincoln apparently was a difficult man. And there are reports from several people who knew the little family when Lincoln was growing up who say that there was tension between the two of them. He never came to see his father on his father's deathbed, and he did not attend the funeral in 1851, even though... Uh, other members of the family very much wanted him to do so. He um, uh, he clearly did not share his uh, father's 
uh, either religious passion. His father was an extremely committed Baptist, and, and one of the reasons that Lincoln apparently never wanted to go to church and never liked going to church was there's a description from one of the uh, cousins who lived with the Lincolns for a time that when uh, Lincoln was a small boy, he used to be forced to go to church. He would go in, and then he would come out, and he would repeat the sermons verbatim and often make fun of them. And his father caught him doing this at one point and, and uh, did some corporal punishment, hit him, and um, basically said, get to work. Uh, Lincoln didn't like working, but that was all that Thomas Lincoln's life was about. He was a subsistence farmer. And one of the problems that he had was uh, in Kentucky, even though his father had these claims of land and had considerable land, Thomas Lincoln had no claim to them because at the time that was still part of Virginia, and at the time the law that applied still left everything to the first son. That was Lincoln's uncle um, Mordecai, and Uncle Mord, as he was known, was a very strange bird. Lincoln said um, he um, got all of our family's talents and that was clearly meant to be a double entendre, that meaning both money as in talents and talents as in brains. But Lincoln was born uh, far from the privileges that uh, Uncle Mordecai uh, could represent. He was born in a dirt floor, one-room log cabin three miles south of Hodgenville, Kentucky. He had no memory of that. And his first uh, farm, first home he remembered was the home that Thomas Lincoln moved the little family to. He had an older sister, Sarah, and he originally had a brother, Thomas, who uh, died in uh, early childhood. But uh, Lincoln and his mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, and his father, Thomas Lincoln, and uh, his older sister, Sarah, moved to uh, a new farm at Knob Creek, Kentucky. It was 10 miles northeast of where he was born. And that was the first place he remembered. And of course, like most other children at the time, he was expected to work uh, with his father and to do that work at all times. In 1816, when Abraham, he always, by the way, disliked being called Abe. Even as a child, he wanted to be called Abraham. He did not like being called Abe. He didn't even like the nickname Honest Abe that some of his political managers later affixed on him. Later, in 1816, Abraham was seven years old when the family moved to Indiana. Now, why did they move to Indiana? Why did they uh, move north? In part because Thomas Lincoln, his father, being a deeply religious man and a passionate churchgoer and somebody who attended revival meetings and cared very much about things, was also bitterly anti-slavery. He hated slavery. And in Indiana, that was part of the Northwest Territory where slavery was forever forbidden, according to the original grant of that land. And also because his claims of his property in, uh, in Kentucky were suspect. Uh, Kentucky was a mess, and it was particularly a mess for people who were illiterate and couldn't read through or file land claims properly. And so even the farms that he owned back in Kentucky, or he thought he owned, weren't clearly owned by him, and it looked like he could do better up in Indiana. So Abraham is seven years old, and they move. They move to Spencer County, Indiana, and there they originally built sort of a lean-to 
which they survived in for a time, while Thomas Lincoln built the cabin where Abraham spent his entire childhood. It was 360 square feet. Now think about it for a moment. Originally, there were four of them who lived there. Later, there were eight people who lived there. When they were joined by a cousin of Lincoln's mother, who uh, another illegitimate child, and the relationship was really unclear, but Dennis Hanks became was an older boy and became Abraham's favorite. And then later, other relatives moved in as well. 360 square feet. A dirt floor. Uh, difficult, difficult circumstances. And what about education? Well, Lincoln recalled, and, and all historians agree that he is correct, that his total time in school during his entire upbringing was less than a year. And basically, there were three different parts of school terms, uh, each one involving about two months. And they used to have at that time what were called blab schools. And there weren't regular school teachers, and it was basically all grades thrown together. If someone was traveling through and he was literate at all and could work with some of these textbooks that they used at the time, then he would be teaching the blab schools where people would recite out loud. And what's fascinating here is we have a, a, a very good illustration of the kind of instruction that Abraham Lincoln would have received. They used very commonly on the frontier a Thomas Dilworth's New Guide to the English Tongue. That would teach kids how to read. And part of what Thomas Dilworth would do would be to put together whole sentences that were words of three letters or less. And people would learn how to read by memorizing this and then associating with what's on the page. Part of what Abraham Lincoln memorized, we believe, apparently, as well as we can understand, are the words, no man may put off the law of God. The way of God is no ill way. My joy is in God all the day. A bad man is a foe to God. Kind of lucky that the ACLU wasn't, <laughs> wasn't there at the time to interfere with blab schools. Well, those schools did help teach Abraham Lincoln to read. But what he did with that knowledge is another story entirely. Part of understanding the real Lincoln. The music there is We Are Coming, Father Abraham, 300,000 More. The uh, music by Stephen Foster, the great American composer. Of course, this is a song written about President Lincoln after he became president. If you had met the boy, Abraham Lincoln, a new resident of Indiana, living in a 360-square-foot cabin together with his sister and his mother and his father, and then later other relatives who uh, joined them. Uh, the idea that he would become president of the United States was unthinkable. Uh, this was a boy who was just learning how to read. And by the way, it's fascinating that the uh, first example we have 
of writing by this great master of the English language, who, of course, everyone knows the Gettysburg Address and the Second Inaugural, who wrote so beautifully. The uh, first example of his writing that we have, which he wrote in a very clear hand, it was very decisive, and you can recognize the same handwriting he used later on, but it was in his sum book. Now, the sum book was he, he loved ciphering, which is arithmetic. That's what he appears to have really liked in school. And this is all we have as evidence of his school days, which totaled less than a year. He had taken a bunch of pages. He had gotten paper. Paper was unusual. And he had personally sewn them together. And he made a sum book where most of it was uh, him solving multiplication problems. For instance, the boy Lincoln was asked to multiply 34,567,834 times 23,423. This is pretty impressive, actually. And there was, uh, then he was asked to divide 4,375,702 by 22,432. Now, this is all in Abraham Lincoln's handwriting as a small boy. Or to solve problems like, if three ounces of silver cost 17 shillings, what will 48 ounces cost? Uh, things like this that basically school kids might have a tough time doing today. By the way, later he became fascinated by geometry. As an, an adult, when he was serving in Congress, he actually worked his way through um, a geometry textbook because he loved mathematics. But in his sum book, the first words that we know of written by the future president were these. Abraham Lincoln is my name, and with my pen I wrote the same. I wrote in both haste and speed and left it here for fools to read. He did impress the kids around him um, because he was an expert at spelling. And uh, there is one incident at school that one of his friends from the time recalls where a little girl who Lincoln appears to have liked, uh, a little girl was having a tough time spelling and she was supposed to be spelling the word uh, die. Um, and she uh, was about to spell it with a Y, and he could tell. And he signaled to her by touching his eye so that she knew it was an eye. He, um, he went to school wearing a coonskin cap, this is no kidding, and buckskin breeches, pants, that were much too short for him because he was a tall boy. He ended up becoming 6'4". But uh, he was always popular and impressive. And this is an interesting thing. The love for funny stories, for sometimes bawdy stories, uh, that, that he later developed, he developed as a small boy. He loved telling jokes, telling stories. And when he began reading and borrowing books, the first book that he read and largely memorized was the Family Bible. Now, how did they have a Family Bible? They were illiterate. It was an heirloom from some previous generation, and we're not even sure which one. This was from his stepmother. And part of the tragedy of young Lincoln's life was that his mother, uh, Nancy Hanks, we have no idea what she looked like. There are contradictory versions of what she looked like. There was never any sketch, any drawing, any painting. Of course, this is long before the era of, um, of, of photographs. But his mother died in 1818 when Abraham was nine years old. And uh, she died of what was called milk sick. This was a disease 
that came from the milk because cows were apparently eating a, a poisonous root in this part of Indiana. And uh, actually, two relatives who lived in a nearby cabin also died of the same disease. She was sick for seven days. Abraham apparently was at her bedside, and she told him she was going. He said goodbye to her. Thomas Lincoln uh, used some of the rails that they had used to build the log cabin to build her coffin. And young Abraham, nine years old, had to whittle down the pegs to put in the rails to form his mother's coffin. How'd the motherless boy become president? That and more on The Real Lincoln. You're listening to a special history program, The Real Lincoln, on The Michael Medved Show. Thanks for listening to the special history broadcast. If you want even more content for Michael Medved, go to our website, michaelmedved.com, and consider becoming a medhead. It's five bucks a month for a year subscription, and there's so much content available. The three-hour daily broadcast, commercial-free, hundreds of commentaries, two new podcasts, private chats with Michael, and lots more. It's all at michaelmedved.com. Click on the MedHead subscription and become a member. Thanks for listening in this greatest nation on God's green earth. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. The Trump administration's Middle East peace plan has been widely criticized as a political stunt designed to help the re-election efforts of Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and Trump himself. But such criticism ignores surprising support from major Arab powers like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the Gulf Emirates, and real conceptual breakthroughs in the proposal's details. For one thing, the plan requires no relocation of populations for either Palestinians or Israelis. Second, Trump proposes securing significant new land for the Palestinians near Gaza to compensate for once Arab territory inhabited for 40 years by established Jewish communities. The plan also commits $50 billion in foreign investment, mostly from wealthy Arab states, to help grow the Palestinian economy and to settle descendants of one-time refugees who wish to relocate to the new state of Palestine. In all, it's a serious proposal that deserves serious consideration after the spirited election season in both Israel and America. I'm Michael Medved. The music here is called President Lincoln's Grand March, and it was written for the president-elect after he became president-elect in 1860. But uh, the subject of uh, this portion of the real Lincoln is how did he ever escape this extraordinarily poor and very difficult childhood? His mother uh, died when President Lincoln, the future president, was nine years old. And this was uh, apparently the most painful time of his childhood. He never wrote about it. He wrote about other things. But uh, we don't know what his mother looked like. She was buried on a hillside near their farm in Indiana. It was an unmarked grave. And then years later, uh, actually 14 years after President Lincoln died, uh, some people tried to find the place and commemorate where Nancy Hanks Lincoln died uh, with a gravestone. They think it's the right place. Lincoln looked back on those days in Indiana where he lived till he was 21 with his family. 
And part of the reason for that was because every dollar that he earned, and he had begun earning dollars, uh, his father would let him go to neighboring farms where, yes, he worked splitting rails. He was a big, strong, exceptionally athletic and tough kid. And uh, he didn't like to work, but he did it. He did it very, very well. In fact, one of his um, uh, neighbors, whose name was John Romaine, said, Abraham worked for me, but he was always reading and thinking. I used to get mad at him for it. I saw he was awful lazy. He would laugh and talk, crack jokes, and tell stories all the same. He said to me that his father taught him to work, but he never taught him to love it. You're listening to a special history program, The Real Lincoln, on The Michael Medved Show. You're listening to a special history program, The Real Lincoln, on The Michael Medved Show. All the money that he would earn, uh, and sometimes he would be paid up to a quarter a day uh, for chopping down trees and, and creating rails, his famous identity as a rail splitter later, all of that money had to be given to his father. That was the law, and Lincoln took it very seriously. Even later on, when he made trips as a teenager on flatboats all the way down to New Orleans, a big city, he would go on those adventures. He would get paid real money for it, uh, sometimes as much as $8, which was a lot of money then. The money would go directly to Thomas Lincoln to feed their little family. And that family became larger when shortly after the death of Lincoln's mother, he was left behind with... um, Uh, his sister Sarah, his older sister. And his father went back to Kentucky, where he had come from. And he actually approached a lady that he may have courted long before. Her name was Sarah, like uh, Lincoln's sister, Sarah Bush Johnston. And uh, she had become a widow. She had three children of her own, small children. She needed a husband. Thomas Lincoln very much needed a wife and mother. And so, uh, surprise, he showed up back at the cabin in Indiana with Abraham's new mother. And she became the most important figure in his childhood by far. The um, Sarah Bush Johnston was a kindly woman. She was also illiterate. She brought along the heirloom family Bible that he began to learn from. And with her three children... And uh, with the Lincolns and a cousin, uh, Dennis Hanks, they, they now had eight people in the 360-square-foot cabin in Indiana. Uh, that didn't stop uh, Lincoln from uh, aspiring for more. One of the things about his passion for reading, what he loved uh, was Aesop's fables. He loved the Bible. A little bit later, he loved Shakespeare. He read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He would memorize big sections and recite them, and recite them to people, drive people crazy. He loved reading out loud. But reading, when you think about it, given the kind of subsistence farm that they they lived in, they would be working all day. And electric light, of course, was far, far, far in the future. So what do you do? This was a poor family that couldn't afford lamps or candles or things of that nature. Most of his reading would be by firelight. He would have to get close to the fire. 
and read there. Or sometimes he would goof off from work, and it made his father angry, uh, by kicking back and uh, actually reading out in the middle of an open field somewhere in the daytime when he was able. Years later, he came back to um, the homestead in Indiana where he grew up, and he had already been elected to the state legislature. He was somebody of some note, considered to be a rising star. He'd become a lawyer. But he always loved writing poems, not just the silly dog roll, my Abraham Lincoln is my name. And he wrote a poem about visiting his old home in Indiana. And this is what the poem said. My childhood's home I see again and sadden with the view. And still as memory crowds my brain, there's pleasure in it too. O memory, thou midway world twixt earth and paradise, where things decayed and loved ones lost in dreamy shadows rise, and freed from all that's earthly vile, seem hallowed, pure, and bright, like scenes in some enchanted isle, all bathed in liquid light. I range the fields with pensive tread, and pace the hollow rooms, and feel companion of the dead. I'm living in the tombs. Not bad. I mean, uh, uh, by the way, some of President Obama also wrote poetry when he was younger. Lincoln's poetry is better. <laughs> but I don't think that should come as a surprise. After um, having developed self-confidence, he continued to take journeys. He made some money building a flatboat, actually ferrying people on the flatboat. He had his first legal case when he was accused of operating a ferry without a license, had to go before a justice of the peace, and was considered okay because on the Ohio River, he took that uh, little ferry that he had made, the flatboat, and took the people not to the other side of the river, which he wasn't licensed to do by the local government, but he took them to another steamship. But then his father decided to move to Illinois. Why? Well, he was looking for new opportunities, and Illinois seemed to be the coming place, and it meant all the world to Abraham. We'll tell you why in this special broadcast, The Real Lincoln. Whatever the controversies, whatever the surprises in the world around us at the moment, it's important to get some perspective, and no better source of perspective than the history of this great country at medvedhistorystore.com. Hurrah for the choice of the nation, our chieftain so brave and so true. We'll go for the great reformation, for Lincoln and liberty too. To purchase this special history program, The Real Lincoln, go to medfithistorystore.com. Abraham Lincoln turned 21 in 1830, and soon after he did, his father had heard about new land in Illinois. He had never done particularly well with a farm in Indiana. He left it behind. It was 1844 years later that Lincoln went back and and visited that old farm and then wrote about, wrote about it in a memorable poem. But in 1830, 
The family moved over to Illinois. They threw up a cabin quickly. Abraham helped his father build it. And it was on the Sangamon River, and it was west of Decatur, in the general vicinity of Springfield, Illinois. Uh, They survived a brutal winter. And then after that, uh, Abraham agreed to make another run down the Mississippi River, carrying some goods to New Orleans in return for a few dollars from a uh, local store owner named Denton Offutt. And uh, after that time, and after that trip, uh, the um, Lincoln was independent of his family. Later, um, Sarah Bush Johnston Lincoln and Thomas Lincoln moved on. Abraham stayed behind in Sangamon County and in the village of New Salem, where he quickly established himself. In fact, in his first year in that new village, he, um, he ran for office. Uh, It was not an auspicious campaign. He didn't win that first campaign, but it was a beginning. And he um, actually got involved in something very different from what his father had been involved with, the subsistence farming. Lincoln never had the same obsession with trying to buy land and trying to raise crops. He was interested in business. He liked the idea of people paying him money. He eventually ended up partnering with uh, a store owner and trying to start his own store. That didn't go so well, but the political career went much better. And one of the things about Lincoln that generally you don't hear about is he was very much different from his father. His father was a Jacksonian Democrat. And Democrats distrusted business. They distrusted banks. They always did. Jackson made war against the Bank of the United States. Lincoln, one of his many splits with his father from the time he was a child, he was an admirer of Henry Clay and what was called the American system, pro-business, pro-internal improvements, pro-capitalism. That was part of his personality and helped to determine the course of his personal life, his uh, political career, and his growth into the Abraham Lincoln we recognize. Other mysteries. How did this prairie politician ever rise to the level of president of the United States? And how did someone with no military background end up being such a brutal, if necessary, and ruthless military leader? That and more in the greatest American story ever told, the real Lincoln, continuing in this greatest nation on God's green earth. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. A new study of the aging process demolishes one of the chief leftist claims about health care, that government control can eliminate inequality. The research, conducted by Harvard and University College London, looked at more than 25,000 people over 50 in the U.S. and the U.K. In both countries, subjects with higher net worth enjoyed an identical advantage of eight to nine disability-free years compared to those with little or no personal wealth. The results shocked experts experts who expected that Britain's highly touted government-funded National Health Service would produce more equal outcomes than the United States. Data strongly suggests the real difference in health and longevity reflect common patterns in both countries, where the poor are far more likely to smoke, to consume unhealthy diets, to abuse drugs and alcohol, and shun regular exercise. In both America and Britain, health depends less on government programs than on lifestyle choices we can control. I'm Michael Medved. 